Hello and welcome back to the Gratitude Incarnate Podcast. Today's episode is very special because on today's episode we'll be featuring guest host Scott Graham. Scott Graham is a career coach, a business coach, and an author. And I am so grateful to bring him on the podcast to speak to you guys today because as I share my experience And what I've learned about grief, it's so important that I bring other people on the podcast to share their experience and their expertise with you as well. So let's jump right into today's episode. Well, first of all, it's so good to be on your show, Amanda, and I really appreciate the fact that you're diligent about getting different messages out there, truly focused on helping people. Um, That is a really nice piece. You should be congratulated for that. Thank you. So I I, I kind of stumbled upon grief uh, on a a personal level quite by accident. I had worked as a counselor and psychotherapist for many, many years uh, in various aspects of addiction and helping people with the Department of Corrections as a clinical supervisor, uh, as a program director. And it wasn't until I had a significant loss. I mean, we all have losses. We lose our parents. You know, I lost a brother. We had, I had losses along the way, but it wasn't until in January uh, or in December to 2019, right before COVID really shut us down, I lost my spouse of 31 years. And uh, that experience uh, showed me, um, sadly, that everything I had been teaching people about grief, everything I've been doing, trying to help people about their grief for well over 35, 40 years of my life uh, was completely wrong and was actually hurting people more than anything else. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. We, you know, we say to folks, you know, you don't know my experience until you've walked in my shoes and it, it Therapists, counselors, schools, uh, institutions all assume that, you know, we know this answer or we need, you need to address things in a certain way. And um, it's not until it really hits you that you uh, really realize what you've been doing and how that was wrong. I'll use that word, wrong, to so many people. Yeah, um, I understand that too. I've been learning a lot about grief myself recently and it just makes so much sense because, you know, we're all so different. We may share similar experiences, but we are also different and we need to approach grief that way too. As, you know, counselors, as friends, as family members, we all need to start understanding that we're all going to have our own unique experience with grief. Right. And as part of that, there is no timeline Mm -hmm. for 
resolving grief. And anybody that tells you that there is a timeline is selling you, you know, a bad bill, of, a, a bad bill of goods, um, because your experience, your um, feelings are created by you and and are only manifested by you. You know, so so here here is an example. Um, think of think of somebody that um, you really care about. Mm-hmm. You really deeply care about this. This is one of my litmus tests for um, uh, that really shifted my experience on grief. And one of the things that I hold out for is, you know, is you know is grief something that you should actually be grateful for? And I've written in my, in one of my books, I've written a couple of books on grief, that grief is actually something that is a gift. And people are like, what are you, what are you talking about? And so imagine somebody that you deeply care about. It could be somebody that you've even lost that you deeply care about. Um, and you remember and you experience grief about that person. It could be that they were in your life for 10 years, 20 years, two months, doesn't matter. You really care about that person and you've lost them or you might lose them. Doesn't I'm just trying to be broad enough so that people who haven't had a grief experience can kind of tap into this. If somebody, if you could go back in time, for those of you that have a person in your life that you haven't lost, that you're in this example I'm trying to share, imagine that you've lost them. And for those of you that have lost somebody, that's that's a good person to focus on. So imagine you could go back in time um, to the beginning of that relationship or that experience. If somebody came up to you at that point, a, a wizard, a mag- magician, a, a genie, and said, here's this person that you're about to meet that's going to come into your life, and you are going to have... The, you got a whole preview of the whether it's two months, two years, two decades that you you're going to spend with that person. You're going to have that great time with that person, but then at that some point in the future, two years, two months, two decades, that person's going to get ripped from your life and be gone. Would you still do it? Would you still? Make that choice to have the depth and love and experience with that person for that period of time, whatever it is, long, short, medium, doesn't matter. Knowing that you're going to have this tremendous loss when they're gone. And if your answer, if your answer to that is yes, of course, of course you have connected to the gratitude that can be imbued in grief. Because our grief is the admission for a life well lived. It's it's the ticket, it's the price, it's the fee to have a life well lived. And I can tell you, boy, feeling the grief I have, if somebody came up to me, 35 years ago and said, you're going to have 31 years of this experience, but then 
there's going to be all this pain for still to this day. It's been almost four years. As I talk about it, you probably can hear it in yeah. my voice. I would do it. Without a doubt, I would do it. And so, you know, for me to to want to push away that grief would be like me trying to push away the that those 31 years of of greatness. Yeah, I completely understand. Um, I had a friend that was very close to me, and that's exactly how I feel. The things that they taught me and the ways that I grew with that relationship, I wouldn't change that for anything. Um, and this is how we embody gratitude. This is how we become gratitude incarnate is when we can learn to look at these things in our lives, these experiences as a gift. Right. And it's, and it's not, it really isn't, you know, as I, I, for your listeners, this is, I'm really not trying to gloss over your grief and say, be happy, 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 happy. Yeah. You're going to still feel that grief. It's not something to push away. There's nothing wrong with it. We have rainy days and sunny days and misty days and cloudy days and cold days up here in Vermont and hot days maybe one day a year. Uh, but we still have those days. And to push away those days isn't really embracing the world that we live in. If it's raining, put on a raincoat. If it's cold, put a hat on your head. You know, if it's hot, you know, put a wet towel around your neck. Work to mitigate those pieces, but to spend our time saying, gosh, this it's and kvetching about the the days that they are. It's like, oh man, we have just another rainy day. Will the rain ever stop? How bad the rain is? How, you know, awful plants are going to be racked, blah, 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 blah. Rain, 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 rain. That doesn't do anything to shift the rain. Nothing. Nothing. It just makes you more miserable. Mm. And so, you know, what do you do when, when it's raining? You get out an umbrella. What do you do when it's cold? You put on gloves, you put on a hat, you put on a jacket, and you go about your business. Uh, the, the strategy is not to try to wish that stuff away. That stuff's not, that's not going to work. Uh, it's how, what do we do to integrate that and allow ourselves to participate in life fully with that as the backdrop? And that's the same thing that people can do with grief, anxiety, depression, whatever cloudy, rainy emotion comes floating your way, I guarantee you that emotion will not last forever. That's just the nature of things. It will get less. It might get more. It's not going to be the same. Just like we don't get you know, a rainstorm that is constant and constant and constant. It lets up. It shifts. We might have misty, rainy, you know, bad days for a week, but the sun comes out and the sun goes away. And so part of kind of maintaining a healthy emotional space is to hold those emotions where they're at and not get so wrapped up in them that we're kvetching and whining and 
you know, procrastinating and all these other things around the the feelings that we have, which doesn't change those feelings at all. In fact, it might just make you feel worse um, as you're sitting in there saying, gosh, well, this, you know, it's a, it's a, I've been depressed all week. It'll never get better. All those things are in almost independent of, of the depression. They're easy to fall into, but you don't have to fuel it in that way. Yeah, and that's the beauty of this analogy is, you know, to remember that we're not the rain and we're not the sun. You know, these are just like states that we're in for a time and it's like a season, you know, and we can learn to just be present in it because we know that there is going to be a change. Uh, So what what are some other things that we've been taught about grief that are, you know, just wrong and they need to be retaught? The, 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 the biggest piece in my mind that I have discovered in this journey is that grief is a problem and it's something to be, that has to be fixed. You know, the, the, in fact, just recently, just recently, the American Psychological Association added a, a disorder to their quote unquote, um, manual of diet, you know, of diagnostic codes for prolonged grief order, grief disorder, sorry. And one of the core, you know, they have these criteria, right? Something lasts more than three months, something interferes with this. I mean, that's how they come up with these, these diagnoses. And one of the criteria for this diagnosis, diagnosis specifically, is that your grief experience takes longer than the societal norms. Well, who's to say what's normal yeah. around your grief? Really? Come on. Um, you know, I have lost both my parents and the grief I feel around my parents is different than the grief that I feel about my spouse. My spouse had a huge part in my life. Um, huge. And every single aspect from, you know, money to lifestyle to, I mean, it would just it was a big part of my life. That's much different than my parents were when they died in their nineties and, and, and their eighties. Um, you know, then, so my, there's no real timeline on that. And for me to put a timeline on that, um, for myself or anybody is really insensitive, mm-hmm. right? I mean, imagine, I, I cannot imagine, but your listeners, Imagine these folks that we've seen on the news who have lost their child Mm -hmm. at a school shooting. So they drop their kid off and then two o'clock in the afternoon, they see some news report that there's been the school shooting at the school where they drop their kid off and their kid is gone. Like, I I can't imagine that that and I can't imagine insisting beyond that that there's some timeline on that grief. Yeah. I mean, that is a profound level of loss. And for someone to be like, well, are you still grieving that? Really? It's been five years. It's been six years. It's been 10 years. Right. Who who has the right to say that? 
Yeah, and I think it's important, too, that we look at the other side of that and know that some people will be ready to go to work and some people will want to carry on with their lives in some sort of way. And it's important that we don't judge them in that either, you know, like Mm -hmm. just, you know, what are some tips that you can give us when it comes to speaking with others who are experiencing grief? You know, what are some of those things that we've been taught? You know, I grew up in the South and when someone passed away, the typical thing that we do is kind of like drop off a casserole dish, you know, say oh, how much yeah. you care for the person and then leave. And we don't see that person for a while, you know. And Oh, yeah. I, I don't Absolutely. feel like that's the healthiest thing. <laughs> you know, what are some... Are you still there, Scott? Scott? Yes, I'm still here. Okay, great. So what are some things that we can um, say to others when they're grieving? That is a great, great great question because typically people don't know what to say and the only cue as to what to say and what to do comes from the card manufacturers the christmas cards the thanksgiving cards the birthday card manufacturers that's what most people take their cue from Mm -hmm. and they think that oh we'll just send sympathy card or a flower or a casserole um and i've done my duty not helpful, not helpful at all. Platitudes, that's what those are called, platitudes. Platitudes are um, completely useless and really devoid of any humanity. I will tell you this. When I, after my spouse died, I had to uh, go online to close some financial accounts. And... I went on, you know, went actually, I went online and then then they prompted me to call in. So I called in and I'm hitting numbers on the phone, you know, like you know, for, for this person, press extension two. If somebody died, press extension five. I'm not kidding. It was, there was this piece about if somebody died. And what do you need to do? I need to close their account because of, of because they died. The computer on the phone, the computer on the phone said to me before connecting me with a person, we at such and such financial place are so sorry for your loss. And we just want to encourage you to blah, 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 blah. It was the most unfeeling platitude I've ever experienced from a computer, from a computer. It'd be like, you know, uh, uh, an Amazon Echo device or Alexa telling you, "Whoa, I'm so sorry for your loss." Well, yeah. that someone just programmed that in. People just say that on people that don't even know you. Just say that, and and come on, that come on. I mean, it's, it's it's useless. So here is what you can say, and I guarantee when you're when you hear this, you're gonna you might be afraid about saying it. It works with grief. It works with anxiety. It works with depression. Uh, it is the most powerful thing you can say to a friend in need, and that is, how's your grief? Even better, instead of saying your, say, how's the grief? 
um, how's the depression? Um, how's the anxiety these days? I didn't connect to this until I had, after my spouse died, in the two subsequent, the first two years, I ended up getting both knees replaced. And I'm a big hiker and a big outdoor person. And I was struck by the fact that people ask me about my knees all the time. How's your knees? How's your, how's the, how's, how are the knees going? We'd go for a walk and we'd be walking up a hill and I'd stop and they're like, knees okay? I mean, they, people were checking in. About, I, did, I did a Tough mutter with a, with a friend and she was like, how's your knees? How's your knees? How's your knees? My spouse and I had done so many Tough mutters together. It was one of the hardest emotional times that I ever had. And she didn't even ask once, how's your grief? Lots of questions about my knees. No questions about my grief. Now, this is what will happen. She was probably afraid that she was going to open up like a barrel of monkeys and an emotional spaghetti all over the place. I guarantee that is not what's going to happen because what you're going to get is a report from a mile high view of how things have been. Like if someone said to me, how's your grief been? I would say, you know, it's been, it's been, I've been so busy with life these last four days. It, it, it really, I really haven't seen it except like, you know, I was just doing this interview with Amanda Rose and at the start of the interview, I was talking about gratitude and how that played out in grief. And I could feel the emotions rising within me. So that's, that's, I'm not talking in the same way, Amanda, that I was talking earlier, where you could hear it in my voice. You don't, there's no grief in my voice right now because I'm talking about the grief and not, I'm not, I'm not talking in it. When we were talking earlier and you can hear my voice cracking, I was in it. So how does that help? How does that help? First of all, people that are grieving, feeling anxiety, feeling depressed, their experience of that emotion, if they don't take time to, to kind of look at it, is that it's everywhere all the time at the same volume, dark, black, hard. They don't see the nuances that it's a little different. They, you get to them and you ask them on Friday, you know, how was your week? And the depressed person is going to be, it's been, it's been all black. Um, but it, we just talked about the weather. It's not all black. It doesn't rain at the same level all the time. So you asking them actually helps them pull their head above the water. That doesn't have to be that they're saying it's a, it's, I had one sunny day this week and the rest was rain. It might be, it didn't rain as much on Wednesday. That's pretty huge. That's pretty huge. Um, yes, it is. and yeah, um, because we have a week where it doesn't rain as much on Wednesday and it's a little misty on Thursday and we ask them how the weather was all week and they say it's rained all week. And when you do that, you're normalizing their experience and you're able to talk to them about something that's really profound in their life that without having to go deep into it. I guarantee you're not going to hear what they're grieving about. They're not going to fall apart and cry. They'll just talk about how it's going. 
And it's and it, especially if you say the instead of your, because we tend to identify with things. Um, and and that identification creates a level of ownership and attachment. My grief, my anxiety, my depression. And if you refer to it as the grief, the anxiety, the depression, you help a person step back from that. Yeah. Right. Someone's someone's got you know um, you know uh, uh, cancer in 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 their legs, in the bones of their legs. You might turn to them and say, "How's the cancer going on with the bones in your legs?" The cancer. We don't say your cancer. Um, uh, we might say, you know, what's going on with your diagnosis, but doctors and stuff tend to be like, let's fix the broken bone. Um, mm -hmm. Let's, you know, I know this as an EMT. I'm, I, you know, it's very objective, you know, the breathing, the heart, this, that. It's not your heart, your, it's, we pull those pieces out because those issues, those medical issues are transient. Um, the burn, you know, the, the burn on my hand versus you don't say my burn, I'm, here's my burn in my hand, you know, um, the scar on my leg. You don't typically say my scar, um, uh, unless you really like that scar and you've done some tattoo, <laughs> fancy tattoo around it. <laughs> um, People suggested actually when I have two, I have two big scars from the from my knee operations and somebody was like, you know, that you can get those uh, a tattoo around that so you can like turn that scar into a lightsaber and you can have Luke Skywalker hold. I'm like, I'm not doing that on my legs. <laughs> I'm not doing that on my legs. Um, so you can help somebody else just by saying, how's the grief? How's the anxiety? How's the depression? Yeah, that's so that important makes sense. because yeah. that's yeah. what this podcast is all about, is just about learning to embody different states, you know, and when you ask that question, we can step out of that state of feeling that we're in and look at it with a level of awareness, and it's going to shift our perspective, and it, like you said, it's going to help separate us from that so we can... So um, another great resource I know that you have taught people about is using a bucket list to transform your life. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. So thanks for asking that. So uh, yeah, I've, I've been a counselor and a coach for in 30, 40 years, um, which makes me feel really old when I say that. But one of the things along the way that happened is that a lot of the folks, and this is actually really a really powerful this time of year when people are thinking about new year resolutions and their future and what does 2024 look like and a lot of people say well i just don't know what i want my life to be i don't really have a purpose they've been so focused on work 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 or they've been so overwhelmed by emotions or they've been so focused on all something some other thing in their life that you turn to them and say and what's the purpose of your life and they, then they look at you like a deer in headlights, like they have no clue about what the purpose of their life is. And if you sit down and try to come up with that, it really stumps folks 
because they, especially folks that are older, that have been ingrained in, you know, what society says they need to do. It's like they have no, they have no, they're, they're completely blank slate and they don't even know where to start. So this idea of the bucket list came to mind because people are, people easily can start identifying things on their bucket list. Bungee jumping is usually one of the first things or sushi, you know, all these things that they like to try. Um, and, and so I put together this process, which is available in a book and the book is free. Actually, you can get the book is free anywhere. It's called the, you know, um, life transforming bucket list. You can find it on Amazon and Google and all kinds of places. It's free. Um, you identify your bucket list and then you start going through your life in categories. Like are there bucket list issues that you want to address for your personal health? What about, you know, someone might say, I want to run a marathon. So is, are there bucket list pieces you want to identify for your family? Someone might say, yeah, I want to see my, my, kids graduate from college you know are there bucket list pieces that you want to address for your emotions um for your spirituality all these different life categories we go through and then we work to distill and clarify that in this book uh and then people start to identify as we drill down what their core values are related to their bucket list Somebody might realize that their their core value is a life of adventure. Like yeah. the things that are so important on their bucket list are hang gliding, mountain climbing, jumping off of cliffs, you know, skydiving, all these. And they're, and they're like, wow, there's a big adventure theme on my bucket list. Somebody else might look at their bucket list and be like, wow, you know, there's a huge family theme on my bucket list. You know, I could care less about skydiving, but I really want to I really want to hold my grandchildren in my arms. You know, I really want to go for walks, you know, with my grandkids, you know, when they're growing up. I want to be a part of those things. Family is is the theme of my of my bucket list. So then you pull from those themes values that you then can focus on in your everyday life. And if you focus on those values, you don't need a bucket list. You could throw your bucket list away. Um, and then by focusing on those true values, you then stop, you start living in the present and stop postponing. Because one of the things we do is we are, we are a world of some way, someday. Right. Mm -hmm. I'd love to I'd love to do this with my family, but I'm too too busy to go to my son's softball game, even though I would love to see, you know, family is is my theme for my bucket list. But I'm still too busy to go to my softball game for my kid. Um, that's a big discrepancy between how you say you want to be and how you're actually being. That can really shake somebody's life up and make a huge difference so that they don't get to their to their kids graduation and their kids like now you want to be part of my life uh you know somebody who who says they want to live a life of adventure and they're sitting at home year after year not doing anything adventurous figuring well once i retire i'll get an rv and i'll travel around the country well you know that that should have would have could have might never come um it, I, I know that with grief, 
right? You've, if you've got to seize the moment of what you have with the people that you're around, because there is no guarantee of tomorrow for any of us. And we all, you know, we all have built in expiration dates on our bodies. We just don't know when those are. We think we know when those are. We want to leverage. I mean, people say, take this pill, do this exercise, eat this food, and you know, you're going to somehow change the expiration date. But that expiration date's there. We just don't know what it is. Um, and um, you know, you can eat really great and go out and get plowed over by a truck. Um, yeah, there's unlimited factors. Unlimited factors that are out there. Um, and uh we live like we think we're going to live to, you know, we're going to be 500 years old. So that gives us a piece where we're like, well, I don't have to worry about that now. Well, I can skip my, I can, I can stay late at work for my employer to complete this project that they want completed for some arbitrary reason on a Thursday night um, and skip my son's softball game. But, you know, the, you're, you're not going to have on your, on your, tombstone yes scott diligent employees stayed after work on thursday nights to complete the silly report that his boss wanted that's not going to be on your tombstone people don't want that on their tombstone people want loving caring father on their tombstone people want loving caring husband on their tombstone they want dedicated they want words like dedicated committed on their tombstone not you know um you know postpone joy in their life because they were too afraid to, you know, get the RV until they were 65 and they died yeah, when they were 60. Right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> made a steady paycheck every week for 40 yeah. years. <laughs> Woohoo. Saved up for retirement. I'm not telling people to go blow all your money. I'm not saying that either. Right? <laughs> but get so many people just are so focused on it was true for my brother. My brother was worked and worked and worked and worked, never really went on vacations, um, never really did anything. And then, you know, he retired, started doing that stuff, got cancer and died. Hmm. Right. I mean, that's and see, you, Amanda, just said it. You felt it. you were like, uh, right, because we know that's a missed opportunity. Yeah. Don't let that don't let that happen to you. So that's what the bucket list does. It you figure out these things that you'd like to do before you die, and then it ultimately down re resolves to the question of why why the heck aren't you doing that now? Come yeah, on. I can't. Unfortunately, I can't remember the name of the author right now. But there's a wonderful book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Uh huh. And, yes. And yeah, that's, that's a great she, book. That's what she talks about is how she spoke with all of these people as her time as a hospice with her time as a hospice nurse and they all basically said the same thing is that they wish they would have lived their lives for themselves and you know that's what we can do when we tap into our core values when we create this bucket list you know we're living our lives for ourselves and what lights us up and our purpose and that's how we really live fully in the moment and that's how we can make the most of our time with the people that we're with now you know yeah yeah that, that's when we make the most of the moment now this is going to help us with that process later too right right and and tied into that piece of, you know, wishing to live the life that's true to yourself is embracing the things that are going to include grief 
and embracing yeah. grief because you know, it's the it, grief and joy and are flip sides of the same coin. Yeah. And so you have to have courage to do that because the to be in a relationship where you're exposed to anybody is going to put you in a point where if that person, something happens to that person all the time, things happen to people um, where you're going to experience loss. And so what do you do? Say, well, I'm not going to really put myself out there because I don't want to get hurt. Well, then you're not living life to your true self. Yeah. Yeah. We miss out on so many experiences. Yeah. Man. Well, thank you so much. I know that this is going to be so helpful for my listeners. And I just have to tell you, <laughs> thank you so much for your patience with getting this podcast recorded and out to my listeners. They already know I'm very transparent about <laughs> the behind the scenes workings of the show and the things that have happened. But I'm just so grateful that we could be here together today to get this information out to them. And, you know, if they're interested in working with you or learning more about the, you know, resources that you have available, how can they find you? All they have to do is Google G. Scott Graham, um, G-R-A-H-A-M, and that's an easy piece. Google knows you'll see all my books. You'll see other podcasts that I've been on. You'll see tons and tons of stuff that people can listen to read about um and uh you know easy to contact all the websites have a link with my email address on it so it's not even a hidden piece if someone wants to reach out to me my name my phone number it's all out there okay great thank you again so much You're i can't welcome. thank you enough for being here um so that's going to be it and like i tell my listeners at the end of every show have a grateful day. Thank you guys so much for listening today and for being here with us, for doing this important work. You'll find all the links to find Scott in the show notes, and I'll talk to you soon.